CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money. I'm Matt Gorin, and on today's episode, we're talking about entrepreneurship. That is, being a business owner. Michael Thomas is getting his PhD, so here with me is one of his fellow financial planning graduate students, Timmy Jorgensen. Hi. <laughs> Hi, Timmy. And you've brought a special guest today. I did. My most special guest. This is my husband, Michael. I own a company called Carveworks, and I use robots to do sculptures. That sounds very cool. We're going to be chatting with Mike and Timmy on this episode and also joining us, the founder of the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute, who will teach us about purpose-driven entrepreneurship. Danny Kofke is back with a new wealthy person, and we'll get some practical tips from accredited financial counselor, Lisa Duke. Being a small business owner is a lot of work. Stay tuned. Work, 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 work. It's me, I be work, 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 work. It's me, do me, da, 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 da. It's me, but I work, 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 work. We'll get into the details of starting a business later. First off, I want to hear from you guys what it's like day to day. We have a giant robot that we use to do 90% of the work. And so I do most of the stuff on the computer, make 3D models, send it to the robot, have it do most of the work. I go back in and finish it up. What's the small business owner side of it like? It's like something. I don't know. I let my dad take care of that. We started the business together. And so I say, you talk to people and deal with the money and deal with the business stuff. And I'll make really cool stuff. And you can sell it and make sure that we get paid. So you, you, should, you should talk about why you handed the reins over. What was your experience at the beginning of that? It's really hard to wrap your brain around how business people work. I live in this this fancy little bubble of happiness. You know, I'm like, hey, this doesn't make me happy, so I'm going to get rid of it, right? Okay. Contracts and things like that. And I'm like, listen, I just want to make cool stuff. I just want to make you an awesome sculpture or whatever it is that you want. So you've been able to offset those kinds of things onto your dad then? Yeah, he takes care of the majority of that. So from your point of view, are you able to come into work, do the cool stuff you want to do, and then here's your paycheck? Is that more or less? As far as paychecks go, it's more of like when the project is done, then we get a paycheck, kind of. <laughs> so you know, starting little, out. It's know. a little irregular. Yeah, yeah. So you're still yeah. experiencing some sides of that yeah, prototypical the, small business owner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, and one of the things a lot of people are anxious about when they're thinking about small business is the irregularity, is the uncertainty and the risk. Mm-hmm. Does that cross your mind? Does it make you apprehensive to be part of such a small business? Yes, terrified. Well, terrified. Why it's it terrifying? Oh, it's just because the idea of going and getting a job and, and, and working is so that you can provide for whatever lifestyle you want to live. And I've got a family and I've got kids. And so I want to provide the life that they need, you know, provide things for them and you know, pay the bills. You all are a married couple. How much commingling is going on? We How mingle are you making... often, actually. You mingle often, oh, yeah. <laughs> You're... Well, it's adorable you guys are holding hands uh, now. <laughs> How you make it work as a couple where you have irregular income and, Timmy, you're still a graduate student? So that's our regular income is me being a grad student, and that's 
it actually being in school is the thing that like that was the stability where a lot of people are like, how are you going to school while your husband starts a business? I'm like, hey, if there's ever been a time to be a grad student and have a meager but consistent income and access to health insurance, this is the time of life to do it. And then it, it usually works out that the payment for projects comes sort of like at the end of semesters when we're like, what else could we possibly do to make some money so that we can yeah. cover the last, you know, six weeks of the semester or whatever. That's yeah. usually when we're like, we've already put in all this time. It was like nine months ago. We're starting to get anxious and then people pay us. And so that it works out. Student loan lump sum way of doing a budget where you kind of have to make it stretch and mm-hmm. you really just get what you need and not a lot of things you want is it's a really good model for being a family going into a small business because once you get paid it's really tempting to be like you know what we really want (laughs) all this stuff that we would like to be replacing on a regular basis in the home and then you're like you know what i need Uh, (laughs) rent money yeah to have a place to live (laughs) and like to put gas in the car exactly we're just kind of starting to get to the point where, like, it feels real. <laughs> we're like, oh, we're real grown-up yeah, t- adults. And- it took that much time to make it work. And a lot of people who are successful, I think, tell a similar story to what you all are saying, that you have support from the immediate family mm-hmm. that you all are supporting yeah. each other, and then from the extended family, maybe from some other friends and so on, to make it work. Mm-hmm. And to have the diligence and willpower to stick with it and not spend the money as it's coming in. I think that's one of the other things that's really... My wife being a financial planner, doctor, student, I don't know. She <laughs> wears many hats and wears them well. Um, Thank you. But I, you find out a lot about yourself. Oh, take this quiz to see what kind of uh, risk taker you are and then what kind of money spender you are. Like, you go home and it's like, I'm completely risk averse. Like, don't spend any money you don't have. Don't go out and go crazy with stuff. And my dad's the complete opposite. He's like, oh, I've got five bucks. I can buy something. I've got got money in my pocket. I'm going to go, you know, that thing's cool. I want that. And uh, so that's, he spends a lot of money on on the company. His dad likes to think of all the possibilities. And Mike's like, no, stop. Stop (laughs) being imaginative. Let's do what's going to work. Yeah, that's also one of the the hard things about working with your your dad is I'm I'm his little kid, you know. When he sees me out working in the in the shop, he's like, "That's my five year old. Look at him play with those tools. That's so cute." You know? And we have our then, own five year old yeah, who sure. shows up, and he feels the same way. And I'm yeah. like, "It's not cute. Don't give her power tools. That's not yeah. safe." No, we've got some great pictures. <laughs> well, it That's sounds hard. like you do get it sorted out. It's good to have these Eventually. different mindsets. <laughs> yeah. Yes, we do. If you want to check out Mike and his dad's sculptures, <laughs> head over to CarveWorks.com. See the very cool work that they're doing. And as we're talking about, there are so many different things you got to handle as a small business owner. Mike, you said yourself, all the different hats that uh, everyone's got to wear. To tell us more about that is my very good friend, Dr. Chickie Davis, founder of the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute. I think a lot of self-employed people feel like we do a little bit of everything. So I am a consultant, which means I work for other businesses. I also sell products on my website and in order to do both of those things, I have to do a lot of marketing and managing my finances. So it's a little bit of everything. Yes, you wear lots of different hats. And one of those hats, human resources person. If you're an employee, all these things like health insurance is set up for you. That is absolutely right. You kind of have to handle everything when you're 
self-employed. Health insurance is one of those things that I don't always have because I <laughs> it falls through the cracks or, you know, I miss open enrollments and things like that. So it's really helpful to keep an eye on those types of things. How do you do that? How do you go about setting up something like health insurance? The Affordable Care Act, ACA or Obamacare, is basically the form of health care that's easiest to set up as an entrepreneur. I'm also married, though, so I'm currently actually have health insurance through my husband's work, which makes things a lot simpler. Everyone's got to figure out on their own, and that goes state by state. Yes, indeed. And how about some other things like disability insurance, errors and emissions insurance? Are you grappling with these things as well? I am not familiar with disability insurance. I do have liability insurance. Because I am a contractor, a lot of companies will require that I am insured so that if I make a mistake, you know, they know that they will get that mistake paid for and it helps me feel safe in case something goes wrong. So I do have that. And I did have to kind of figure that out on my own. I got some plan that was available online, but my current employer requires they have a particular one. So it's a little bit easier because they just tell me which one to get. Sure. (laughs) And how much are you paying for that liability insurance, if you recall? It's 500 a year. Okay. And that's an expense, of course, that employees aren't dealing with whatsoever. In fact, I would imagine most people who are employees have no idea what we're talking about. Yes, that's probably true. <laughs> yeah. And it's not one of those things that you think of when you become self-employed. You're like, oh, I'll just go about my life, but then, which you can do, but if you get sued or something goes wrong, it's really important to have that type of liability insurance. And there's a bunch of different types too, so it all depends on the type of work you have. For example, if you have a brick and mortar shop, you tend to need more expensive liability insurance versus what I do, which is sort of remote work and computer work, it's a little bit cheaper. Some people can go and get things like liability insurance through professional organizations that they're a member of. So I'm a financial advisor, so the financial planning organization offers that. But when you were shopping for your own policies, where did you even think to go? I found Hiscox, I believe is how you pronounce it, online. Or they contacted me, or somehow I figured out that they existed. And I have no idea who any of the other competitors are. So, away to Google. That's what you do. You you do a Google search. Away to Google, yes. (laughs) Please Google it. Yeah, and it's not just insurance coverage that self-employed people have to deal with themselves. It's, It's really everything, as you said. So... How about retirement planning? Employees can just put money into a 401k that's offered by their employer, but you don't have that option. That is absolutely true. I think these days, even a lot of employees don't have great retirement planning. But as someone who's self-employed, you kind of have to just guesstimate how much money you might need, how much money you should set aside. There's no 401k matching. It's also a bit of a challenge to figure out where you can even put that money because your employer hasn't set up an account for you. So all of that requires research and planning and budgeting and all of those things that take some time to figure out. As you said, you've got to figure out the math every single year of how much can I afford to put away versus how much I want to save for the future. And that same idea applies to paying taxes. Employees have withholdings, but of course you don't. You've got to figure out your own tax liability every year. That's absolutely right. And I, every month, basically, well, so you have to pay your taxes quarterly when you're self-employed. And I basically have like a running total in my brain of how much money I will owe each quarter. So I kind of 
mentally deduct that from my bank account. Otherwise, you know, tax time comes and you're like, well, I can't pay this bill. That's great. Uh, so it's really good to kind of have that number in the back of your mind. And there are calculators online to help you compute this. So I've found that to be really helpful. And you're saying do this mentally, but the IRS actually lets people prepay. So you can set up an account and, and do that year round. And if I remember correctly, a couple years ago, when you were first learning about prepaying taxes, you made a little boo-boo. I did. I, I'm so glad you remember my accident. <laughs> I, I didn't prepay. And at the end of the year, I owed like 6000 or something. So I had to pay a fine. And so then the next year, I was much more careful about paying on time. We're back in the studio for a moment. Chicky just shared a little boo-boo she made. Mike, do you have a favorite mistake you've made as a business owner? Besides starting a company? Like, uh, <laughs> I think that would be my favorite mistake that I've made. Fair enough. We need to take a break now. Stay tuned when we get back. Some practical tips for starting a new small business. You're listening to Nothing Funny About Money on WUGA. 91.7 and 94.5 FM. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org. Support for Nothing Funny About Money comes from Elwood & Getz, Financial Planning and Investments. As fee-only financial planners, they are fiduciaries to their clients. ElwoodGetz.com. That's E-L-W-O-O-D-G-O-E-T-Z.com. And from Sally May. Families can search for scholarships, make a plan to pay for college, and find private, undergraduate, parent, and graduate student loans at SallyMay.com. Hey, this is Danny Kofke, and I am here with this week's Wealthy Person. Every episode, we will focus on someone that lives a wealthy life. This week, we are going to focus on someone who knows a thing or two about being an entrepreneur, billionaire. Yes, that is with a B, Mark Cuban. His first step into business was at age 12 when he sold garbage bags to pay for an expensive pair of basketball shoes. While in college, he had his hand in a few businesses, including a bar, not a bad idea for a college town, disco lessons, and a chain letter. Remember those chain letters? Yeah. Well, after college, he moved to Dallas and became a bartender and then a salesperson for a software company. He was fired from that gig, which led him to start his own company, Microsolutions. In 1990, he sold this company for $6 million, and he was on his way. In 1998, Mark started AudioNet, which started out by webcasting Indiana Hoosier basketball games. AudioNet became Broadcast.com, which Yahoo purchased in 1999 for $5.7 billion. Since then, Mark has continued to invest in numerous startups. Many of you probably know him as being the owner of the NBA basketball team, the Dallas Mavericks. However, most of you might know Cuban for his role as a shark investor on the ABC reality program Shark Tank. And as of July 2017, he has invested in 85 deals across 111 episodes for a total of $19.9 million. There's never been a company in the history of companies that's ever succeeded without sales. Anybody who's ever told you, don't worry about sales, you can grow it and then worry about sales later, they're lying to you. They will fail, you will fail. You have to be able to sell. And do you know who the biggest salesperson in your company has to be? You. 
He definitely gets straight to the point and depicts what every entrepreneur needs to focus on. As I mentioned earlier, Mark is a billionaire, which makes him very rich. However, what makes him wealthy is how he gives back. In addition to helping numerous entrepreneurs get a start, he founded the Fallen Patriot Fund in 2003 to help families of U.S. military personnel killed or injured during the Iraq War. Until next time, here's to living wealthy. Welcome back. I'm Matt Gorin, and I'm here with Timmy and Mike Jorgensen. A moment ago, you heard Danny Kofke, author of The Wealthy Teacher. Here's Chickie Davis back again to talk about starting up the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute. When you were first becoming an entrepreneur, you kind of knew what you were getting yourself into, but what have been some of the other big surprises? I think the thing that surprises me most is how much time I have to spend on marketing, you know, marketing myself, marketing my articles, marketing my website. I can't actually work a 40-hour work week on consultant work or else you'll end up, you know, like, now what? Yeah, so that's extremely risky then. You might be making a decent amount of money, but then all of a sudden it's gone and you have nothing and it's like you're unemployed. I think it's risky, sort of. I always tell people who are employed in regular jobs that that's risky too. Like your job could be eliminated at any moment and then you'd literally be back at zero. Whereas I'm never really at zero. I always have a, like a ton of little pipelines open, a lot of things working in the background. So yes, any one of my contracts may end at any moment, and that's scary. And I have to do a lot of planning and have a lot of foresight. But if I think about it, really, I have a lot more options than most people who have regular jobs. So it works for me. As long as you manage risk well, it works pretty well. So would you say this is all worth it then? Would you do it all over again? For me, it is. I occasionally think about trying to get a regular job. And I do admit that I miss the security of just knowing that somebody else will handle everything and like my paychecks will arrive on time and I'll know how much I'm making each month. But I enjoy the work better of being an entrepreneur. So it sort of just depends on what you want and what you like. If you haven't scared everyone off with all the complexities that they'd have to deal with, What resources would you recommend for people thinking about doing what you do, starting their own business? Well, some of the best resources that I've found are things like Weebly, which lets you create a website for free. So if you just want to like put something up and see how it goes, that's been really helpful. As you get a little further along, resources like MailChimp are really good for reaching out to potential customers or people on your newsletter or even just like your family and friends as you're trying it out. And then the third one that's really great is Hootsuite, which is a way to kind of mass blast social media posts to get people interested in you, your website, whatever it is that you're doing. And what if people are looking for bigger picture information? Well, lucky for them, I've actually written a short workbook. It's called Purpose Driven Entrepreneurship, and it's available on Amazon. So it's sort of the idea that most of us become entrepreneurs because we care about something a lot. and We really want to make money doing the thing we love. So this workbook helps you think about what you really care about and some of the obstacles you're likely to overcome in pursuing that purpose. The book is great. I'm in the book. Check it out. Chicky, thank you so much for being on our show. Thank you so much, Matt. That was my very dear friend, Dr. Chicky Davis, founder and CEO of the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute. Check out the great work they do at berkeleywellbeing.com. 
Chicky's book is chock full of tips and tricks. Mike, you've also been running a small business for a few years now. Do you have a number one tip you think new small business owners should know? Don't start a small business. <laughs> we already said that one. Make sure you invest in quality whatever it is. Quality tools, quality software, quality underlings, whatever it is that you do. <laughs> Minions. Minions, yes. Whatever it is that you're doing for your business, make sure that you're investing in quality stuff. I think that's great advice. That's uh, also what you hear on Breaking Bad, another inspirational story about a small business owner. <laughs> Buy good beakers to make drugs. Yeah. No half measures. That was the, the quote there. <laughs> and Timmy, do you have any tips for being married to a small business owner? It's going to be an exercise in patience. My number one tip would be to stay supportive and keep your negative feedback to yourself because it doesn't help anything. Like if you haven't gotten paid and they're working, being a horrible nag of a spouse and being like, what's going on? You're working and not getting paid, like recognizing that that's probably more frustrating for them than it is for you. And them coming home to a toxic home environment is not going to make anything any better. If it doesn't work out at the end of your a lot of time you can still leave and like have your family together and it's not worth ruining a family over a failed business or a successful business for that matter. Sure. Business. Yeah. Don't ruin families over business. Yes. Or anything else. Very good. Yeah. Thanks, Mike and Timmy. Next up, Lisa Duke is the CFO of an IT company and also an accredited financial counselor. Here she is to share her practical tips for new entrepreneurs. You are the main employee. Yeah. You may bring people on on a project basis. For example, with this business that I'm launching now, we've brought in a graphic designer to do the website. I know she has a really good eye for design, so she's done the logo. She's done the website. She's helped me get the vision for how I want it to be presented graphically, but it's on a time and materials basis. And in working with somebody that, like that, you definitely need a written proposal of what they're going to do and how long in lapsed time they think it will take. Okay, I think this is going to be 20 hours of labor, and I think we can complete it over a 90-day period. You need both of those because the 20 hours doesn't mean that they're going to be working on it <laughs> for, for 20 hours straight. It's right. going to be over time, and you need some sort of a sense of what am I signing up for cost-wise and how long will it take for me to get to the end result. And then as part of that, you need to be – very conscious of scope creep on your own end and also on the vendor's end to make sure if they're throwing things in, if you're brainstorming ideas, hey, I hired you to do the logo and the website. Can you also do business cards and I need a flyer to hand out? Those things that you've added on were not part of the original scope and they may just say, oh yeah, sure, I'd be happy to do that. But you as the, the person that's going to get the bill needs to say, okay, and can you send me an email with how much extra it will be and make sure that you are managing yourself and you're managing them and that you keep track of things as you go. It works the other way as well, I think. If you are the graphic designer, you probably are also a small business owner. And here some client says, oh, and can we tag on mm -hmm. this and that and the other thing? Mm -hmm. And if you're not comfortable saying no or you're not comfortable having it in writing and charging them more, now you might be accepting all this work. And not getting paid for it. Exactly. And a lot of small business owners are very uncomfortable with asking for money. For a lot of small business owners, 
this is your passion. This is your work product. How do you put a price on that? How do you ask for money afterwards? So, and I don't know any way to get better at it other than just practice and also to be aware of it and to make sure you're communicating as you go. And so if you're too chicken to bring it up, then you just send a little email recap saying, it was such a pleasure talking to you about this project. I'm so glad it's going well. I realized after we talked that I forgot to mention the business card will be X amount. The flyer design will be Y amount. If you could just email me back and let me know that that's okay before I get started. I agree with all that. The addendum I would add is don't undercut your own value. I think another thing people are uncomfortable with is asking for what's actually a fair amount of money mm-hmm. or what they might think is mm-hmm. an, a lot of money. But depending on who you're working with, $3,000 might be nothing, might be a drop in the bucket for them. If they were going to pay you 3000 why would you offer 1000 Right, exactly. And that's a, I think newbie small business owners are thankful for anything. <laughs> I see a lot of people taking on free work, oh, especially gosh. in the financial advisor side. Mm-hmm. It's like uh, all the friends and family just round down to zero. Value yourself. Right. Recognize right. other people value you and mm-hmm. want to pay you for your time. You're exactly right. The marketplace is a value on that. And to some degree, the more you charge, the more special and magical you must be. And now I'm willing to pay more than I was. You've set a different anchor point. Take an intro to psychology class is probably also a good (laughs) business tip because I, I think you're right. And hopefully, whatever that price is, your value you're bringing to that other company is not just meeting that, it's exceeding it. It's, exactly. They win because mm-hmm. they're getting so much more. And of course, you as a small business owner win. And then with that money, you can pay the employees, as you mentioned before, right. and you can keep growing your business. Yeah. And think about what it would cost them if they had to hire somebody full time. This is the other thing that I see with entrepreneurs that are new to business is they say, okay, I make $50,000 a year and I'm going to work 50 weeks a year because I deserve two weeks of vacation. And I'm going to work 40 hours a week. And so they divide it all out and they come out with their rate. And that's completely wrong because it doesn't even represent your true cost to the company. The company is paying for your health insurance, at least a portion of it, all of the other benefits that you never even really paid much attention to, but were paid for on your behalf. There's usually some sort of short-term disability, maybe long-term disability, all these other benefits that you didn't really care about, but that were paid for on your behalf people really need to look at their total compensation in order to figure out what they need to be charging. And also they need to understand that not every hour in the week is going to be a billable hour. We put so much work into proposals, doing research, pricing things up, and some of those deals we get and some we do not. But if it takes us 10 hours to do all the research, to write the proposal, to go over it with the client, to go back and edit it and update it based on the conversation, that's 10 hours that are never going to be billable, that we're never going to recapture. So you have to make sure you're building in some time for admin, sales, the running of the business, and then take those hours out to determine what you're really worth today, much less what you're worth in the future. I think you summed up the entire episode very nicely there. Well, if you need help setting up a small business, reach out to Lisa Duke at lisaduke.net. Thanks for being on our show. My pleasure. Thank you. So lots to keep track of there. Any closing thoughts? Some risks in life are worth taking. So if you have a passion for something or you want to make a difference in the world in a certain way, go for it because 
if you're miserable in whatever else you're doing, it's that's not going to get any better. You're just going to get older and still be miserable doing that thing. Doing things that are worthwhile and make the world a better place are worth making some sacrifices in other areas of your life. If you're having trouble with any of this, reach out. Visit nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org and send us a message. We're happy to help over email, phone, or in person. And if you help run an organization, we love to speak to an audience. We've given talks literally coast to coast and want to hear from you, too. Is that it? I think so. Thanks again, as always, to our executive producer, Chris Shoup, and our audio engineer, Garrett Burke. Thanks also to Mike Jorgensen of CarveWorks, Timmy Jorgensen from the UGA Financial Planning Program, Chicky Davis of the Berkeley Wellbeing Institute, wealthy teacher Danny Kofke, and Lisa Duke, AFC. And thank you for listening. Until next time, peace. You've been listening to Nothing Funny About Money. This show is recorded in the studios of WUGA Athens on the University of Georgia campus. I'm Matt Gorin. And I'm Michael Thomas. Reach out. We'd love to answer your questions and help you achieve your goals. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And connect with us online at nothingfunnyaboutmoney.org.